marketing podcast your weekly dive into the whole hotel industry tips and tricks to help you put more heads in beds and i'm your host Stuart butler today joined by pete DeMeo. hey everybody self-introductions today melissa cavanaugh misha bokikio and these wonderful group of fuligans and i are gonna dive into the topic of testing today and we have a special guest guys we do? Yeah, he can only Who? come for a very brief moment, but he's going to be here a little bit later. Who could it be? Well, I, we'll, we'll kind of build up to that in a little while, but you guys be thinking. I'll give mm. you a hint. You ready? He's not from around here. I'm not from around here. Am I the special guest? Well, he's from further away than you. Oh. Mm. Mm. Canada. Yep, yeah, further than that. I hope you, hopefully you're all intrigued. We'll see a little bit later. He, he's going to make a very brief appearance, but, you know, be excited for that. But first off, we're going to start like we do now every week with our news wrap up. What's interested you in the world of hotels this week, Melissa? Well, I found out that uh, the Trump Hotels group uh, recently announced that they are planning to launch a new brand of hotel. Um, but they're not naming it a Trump Hotel. They're staying away from the Trump name, which may or may not be interesting to anybody, but I'm curious as to whether it's because of his political issues right now or if they're really trying to stay true to brand. Um, supposedly, this new brand is going to be not quite at the luxury level as the current hotels, so that's why they're saying they want to stay true to brand. So I'm curious as to what the real reason is. And where are these properties going? Doesn't say. Okay. No idea yet. But it's more of an economy. It's more of a we economy uh, hotel brand. Yeah. So is that is that marketing spin? Them saying, hey, Trump represents luxury. This is not luxury. Is it that? Or is it just, mm-hmm. hey, we want to stay away from this crazy nonsense that's going on in the political world? That's what I'm very curious about. Hmm. Interesting. All right. What's up next? Well, the next one up is, this is something that was posted to HotelsOnline.com, and Arizona recently legalized Airbnb investment properties. So basically, in the past, individual cities and towns within Arizona could prevent people from having short-term rentals and having that be actual business. Arizona, as a state, passed a law saying that you can no longer do that, basically opening the doors to anybody having an Airbnb property allowing it to be rented for as little as one or two nights. And what that really does is open up the door to everybody being able to do the same thing. So it's very early in the process, but I'd keep an eye out on this because if Arizona is already doing it from a state level, I would also expect to see other states eventually move in that same direction, which will make Airbnb a much bigger competitor in terms of the hotel market. Yeah, we're already seeing, especially in Europe, they're taking more and more of the market share. So this, I mean, this is one to watch. Now what else, Misha? So on a similar note to Airbnb, the article that I found was on TechCrunch and it's about Airbnb and about how they are really trying to position themselves as a unique experience. And this is really one of the big differentiating factors that they're trying to push versus a traditional hotel is really that unique, you know, completely immersed experience in whatever location or destination you're going to. So they have a new program called City Host that is currently in a private beta. And this is essentially allowing guests to book private tour guides in a city. 
the interface, again, this is in private beta, so you can't see it yet, but um, the article actually does have some screenshots in there. It looks similar to Netflix. Um, it, oddly similar to Netflix, actually. And they really want people to be able to shop for their own personal unique experience. There are currently 36 options that people can choose from in different destinations. A few examples that they give are kite surfing in San Francisco, like an advanced kite surfing class with a professional cooking lessons and a music scene tour in London. And then they also talked about an art luminary city tour in Tokyo, and they broke it down. It would be $250 per person for a three-day completely immersive experience. <laughs> and it's charged per guest, and then obviously you'd have to book and stay through an Airbnb property. So I thought this was pretty cool, and it really speaks to, I think, the direction that a lot of travel is moving to. You want a really unique experience. We had a travel... Um, leisure study that we did and then also um, another travel trend study that we've done and there are a lot of people um, business leisure was one of the segments that we talked about that's really growing so people are going on business trips for example and are extending that trip because they want to really see the destination they're staying at and get you know go to the restaurants that people don't talk about you know go to see these exhibits that maybe are a little bit of a hidden gem so I thought this was a really interesting program the one I think you know caveat or perhaps downside to this is that you know people were questioning the the scalability of this and how if it does continue to grow how can they keep this up yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see it as it's like a reinvention of the tour guides, but on a very micro level, like on an individual level, which, you know, I, I think certainly millennials and then even um, the boomers that are looking for that kind of active vacation or like you said, the, the business leisure or I love this word that people have invented, leisure. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really, I'm ironically saying I love it. I, I don't like when people take two words. and It's a portmanteau word. There's a word for that. A portmanteau word. Yeah. Well, if you learn nothing else from this episode. Take away for today. The portmanteau. Is that one word or like that? That is like, one word. Yes. Well, That's the wow. word for when you put two words together and make a new word. Well, but they put three words together to make the word to make the words. Business leisure. No, the port- portmanteau. Oh. <laughs> It's spelled kind of weird. It's like so is there a P-O-R-T- word for when you put three words together? Uh, we could make up a word right now. Okay, monkey fish. <laughs> That's only two words. I know. But it, <laughs> so that means when you put together three words? Yeah, when you put together three words, it's called a monkey fish. You heard it here first. Breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but yeah, I, I mean, it's very interesting. I think Airbnb has to appeal to a unique market they have to mm-hmm. differentiate themselves from just being a place where people lay down and sleep you know just to to rest when they're going somewhere to do something else so i think this is interesting um you know airbnb i, I think has a very unique spot in the market so mm-hmm. I, I i'm not sure i'm as concerned as some people are but uh it's definitely something to, to keep an eye I, on i personally haven't tried it yet but i'm very curious to try it i'm just curious about the experience of staying in someone's home versus a hotel yeah. just so i can kind of compare and i mean programs like this i would be interested yeah. in if yeah. the price was right and it was something i was interested in i would totally do that but like pete said i mean i think airbnb started out like that it was almost like an extension of like couch surfers or something like that where you, you literally are staying in someone's house mm-hmm. with them but Airbnb has evolved. It's not that anymore. People are buying rental properties and putting. I mean, it's basically another version of VRBO. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what it's become. um, 
you know, I, I think that, that different consumers want to consume differently. That's why VRBO is so successful. That's why the OTAs are successful. That's why direct bookings are successful. Um, packages and tour guides and all that stuff. So it's interesting though. I think we probably need to do a whole episode on Airbnb at some point and just that whole sharing economy and maybe pull Uber and Lyft and all that stuff into it as well. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. All right, so let's move on to the topic of the day, which we're talking about testing. And here at Fuel, we kind of have this uh, me- methodology when we're talking about working on our clients. All of us Fueligans uh, are challenged to be thinking about what we call ROI. And I'm not talking about return on investment in the traditional sense. We focus on uh, revenue, occupancy, and insight. And if anyone, whether you're a designer or a developer or an analyst or account manager or PPC specialist, whatever your role is with Fuel, every single thing you're doing for a client should be focused on one or more of those three things. Either you're driving more revenue, you're driving more occupancy, or you're driving more insight into the data and leveraging that knowledge to reapply later on. So what we're talking about today is testing. So AB, multivariate testing, we'll get into the, the differences of those, but testing is something that can really impact all three of those. It can give you more insight, it can drive more occupancy and conversions, and, and which leads to more revenue. So this is really near and dear to our heart. We've been doing a lot of testing on a lot of client sites for a very, very long time. I feel like we've become very good at it and we've learned a lot along the way and we've made a lot of mistakes along the way as anyone would. So hopefully our mistakes uh, can can help you guys learn that are listening to not make the same mistakes and, and do a better job of testing than we were two, three years ago. Um, so maybe it gives you a little jump ahead against the competition. So. Let's start out by talking about why, you know, what, what is testing, why would someone test, and what are, what are some of the common things that we feel are good things to test? So um, a couple of episodes we talked about the whole conversion funnel, and we said that no matter what your conversion rate is, it can always be better. And one of the ways to make that conversion rate better is through testing. Um, and you can look at it from any part of your website, whether you're going to test your basic navigation, you could test layouts, you could test different offers, um, you could test things like email capture, or you could test the way the language is on your search results that could show urgency messages. Uh, there's any number of ways you can do testing. Those are just some, some brief overview of, of some ideas. And and it doesn't just limit itself to the website, right? We've tested on email campaigns and creative. I know, Pete, you did a a case study with um, just testing an animated GIF versus a static image on an email. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more you test, the more you'll find out what your consumers really want, especially in email. Testing is so easy with, depending on the email platform you're using, there's absolutely no reason every time an email goes out, that you're not at least testing a subject line, yeah. if not more with specific content. Yeah, and, and this is this is one of the things we'll probably go into in a little bit, but but making sure you're limiting what you're testing at one time, right? So you're not testing the subject line in the content of the email. It gets way too complicated, really hard to measure, hard to get statistically valid data. So narrowing that focus is really important. You're testing one or two things at a time, not 10 things at a time. Yeah, and that's really true for resort sites and especially resort site pages that don't get a ton of traffic. Mm-hmm. The more you start slicing and dicing, you know, the less data you're going to be getting from each of the test. Yep. All right, so Melissa put together this awesome um, doc. It's a, it's a download on our website. If you go to fueltravel.com slash ABC, 
you can download the ABCs of testing and it really is a comprehensive look from A to Z, as we say in the motherland, or Z as we say here in America, from A to Z of you know everything you really need to know about testing. It's, it's you know tips and um, pitfalls and things like that. So I mentioned earlier, guys, that we have a special guest. You did mention that. And he's not from around here. Do you, do you guys want more of a hint on who he is? Because he's going to come in and he's going to tell us what the first of the ABCs is. Please share. And we're not starting <laughs> with A, so this is another hint. We're going to start with Y. Whoa. So he's not from around here in the letter Y. Is it Mickey Mouse? <clears throat> because Y? Because we look... No. No, no, good. <laughs> there is a Y in Mickey, but no, it is not. How about he's green? Kermit. <laughs> it, it is not Kermit. So he's, he's really far away. He's from a galaxy far, far away. I can't take it anymore. I have to meet this guy. You have to meet this guy? Well, well you know, he did die in Return of the Jedi, but he is here today as a Force ghost. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it is Yoda. <gasps> Hello. The first one is unlearn what you have learned. Yoda, you are very wise. Mm, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Guys, can you believe that? I can't we, believe We it. had the force ghost of Yoda here. That is amazing. And did you hear what he said? You must unlearn what you have learned. Exactly. This is the most important thing. If you take anything away from this podcast, aside from made-up words, um, you really need to just forget everything you think you know about your website. Because honestly, what you think doesn't matter. It's what your consumers think and how they act on your website that matters. Um, and if you want some practice and a little eye-opening experience on unlearning what you've learned, there's a website called witchtestone.com that, uh, frankly, I'm in love with. You can sign up to get a weekly, a weekly newsletter from them, and they will send you a case study of tests that have been submitted by people. Now, word of caution, this will deeply, deeply impact your sense of uh, intelligence. Oh, I love this site, though. I love this site. It, it's, it's a great site. So what they do is they send you a case study and they show you what, you know, they give you a little background on what was being tested and you get to vote on which version you think won the test. And then not only do you get to see if you were right or wrong, but you get to see how the rest of the audience has voted too. So maybe you don't feel so dumb when you got the answer wrong. Every time you're like, oh, this is so easy. Like you just assume you know because you're the expert. And then they just build you up to break you down. Yeah. It's awesome. Which is a great learning experience because, you know, they say about opinions, you know, everybody has one. Uh, but if you have an opinion on how a site works, testing it is the only way to validate if it is truly the case. And no place will show that quicker than that site. It is fantastic. I, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, like I said, you, you'll quickly learn that you, your opinion doesn't matter because you'll be wrong probably 50% of the time. Yeah, and when we approach testing, we, we try to approach it with the scientific method, right? Which is we ask a question, like, can we increase this? Or what would happen if we did this? And then we apply a hypothesis. So by making this button larger or changing the verbiage, it will have this impact. It will increase conversion it will whatever it is. So I think it's important to apply that, that scientific method to testing. So you're just not 
spray and pray kind of mentality where you're just changing stuff and seeing what happens, it's really, really important to say, all right, here's what we're trying to accomplish with this. And we'll, we'll talk about KPIs and things in, in, a, in a bit, but you've got to start with a process and be methodical. About Absolutely. It. All right, so what, that was why, and Mr. Yoda came in, the Grandmaster himself, but let's go on to the next one. So the letter E. The letter E is for experimentation. And, and by that, I mean, no idea is a bad idea. I know we say that in brainstorming and people generally poo-poo it, but for real, no idea is a bad idea. Um, Mon monkey fish was a bad idea. Monkey probably. fish might but have been a bad idea. But we didn't poo-poo you. I don't know. This is good. We right? were open-minded. It was good. <laughs> this is true. Uh, because you have already unlearned what you've learned, then you will go ahead and agree that no idea is a bad idea. And so everything should be tested. Some ideas just seem like a no-brainer. You know, we didn't have a call to action on this page. There should be a call to action on this page. Kind of a no-brainer. But wouldn't it be nice to know that whatever money you're going to spend to implement that new change, wouldn't you like to know the return on that money that you spent? You're either paying a designer, you're paying a web developer, you're paying somebody somewhere to, to make that change. It would be really fantastic to know exactly how much impact that change has made on the site. All right, so what's next, the letter K? KPIs, Key Performance Indicators, and I can't emphasize this enough. Before you start any test, you need to understand exactly what metrics are going to be measured. Um, in most cases for resorts, we're measuring uh, revenue, we're measuring conversion rate, but perhaps you're also measuring some secondary conversion. It could be an email signup. It literally could be clicks to a button just to see what kind of impact a button has. But that needs to be addressed before a test starts running, not after or in the middle and you're like, oh, I forgot to track this thing. It's very important to get that set up ahead yeah. of time. So it's really, really important that when you're doing any kind of experimentation that you have a plan and that you can recreate that experiment and, and being able to measure it is, is critical. So an example of where we did that was when we, this is probably a year or two ago when we started really testing the effectiveness of first time visitor pop-ups on a website. And the goal being, how can we drive more email signups? Because if we can get an email address, then we can put people into a drip campaign and they can ultimately become a, a guest, right? But the fear was, if we're pushing a pop-up in front of consumers when they first visit, does that have an impact in a negative way on conversions and bookings for that visitor? So we, we made sure we had two KPIs in that test. And right. it was imperative that we looked at both you know, individually and together as well. And what we found was, you know what, asking someone more aggressively for an email with a pop-up gets a lot more emails, like 10 to 100 times more emails. Which than, isn't that surprising. Right, you would expect that. Right. But what we were surprised with a little bit was it had no impact, negligible impact on conversion rate of the overall site. <laughs> so you're making as much money, but you're also now getting a lot more emails, which are top of funnel and you can get them down to sales. So right. you know, if you're not doing first time visit pop-ups, we definitely encourage that. Um, and that goes right in the face of opinion. Mm -hmm. you know, that was one of those tests that we got a lot of pushback on because everyone had the opinion that, no, if you put a pop-up on there, it's gonna make the customer mad and they're gonna leave the site. Because we put our bias on it, right? Because right. we all hate pop-ups. They're annoying. Right. But you know what? People are sheep. They're going to do what they're asked to be, do. You know, That's why Facebook is effective. Because they mm -hmm. see on there, hey, like this. They click like. People, it's a stimulus response society. So if they say something that says, give me your email address, 
Some people are going to say, nope, click, and they're going to exit, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to leave the site. And a lot of people are actually going to say, sure, here's my email address. Yeah, and even on the sites that have the best conversion rate, oftentimes it's, you know, low single digits. You know, so if you can just get one or two more emails from every 100 customers that visit your site, mm -hmm. that really adds up from an email list perspective. Another thing to be concerned about or aware of with uh, KPIs, typically, like I said, we're going to measure revenue, we're going to measure conversion rate. But for a hotel, when we're looking at revenue per visitor, for example, you could be skewed in those results where your conversion rate increased, but your revenue per visitor actually decreased. And you need to be able to dissect that information a little bit and find out whether is it really something causing people to spend less money on the site or were there a few bookings that were, you know, longer lengths of stay or, or you know, a five bedroom uh, condo that was booked that is skewing the results of the revenue. So just be aware of that and know how you're going to handle it when it comes because it's going to come. Yeah. And the other thing is to, to really think about the, the KPIs you're looking at because sometimes it's a vanity metric that we're trying to change but we don't really know the why it's changing. So a, a classic one is bounce rate. If people look at bounce rate and they're trying to say, all right, I obviously want my bounce rate to be lower. Well, yeah, you do. There's a lot of reasons for that because you want people to continue through the funnel. But sometimes people are going to come and if they make a decision, okay, I'm, this is not right for me, they're going to bounce quicker. But the other people that stay on are going to convert better because you've done a better job of clarifying your message early on. So right. it's really easy to say right lower bounce rate better but sometimes you got to look at the whole context you know it doesn't in isolation it doesn't necessarily mean what you think it exactly means. all right what's next H or H as some people say <laughs> high volume pages when you're first starting out on your testing journey we highly recommend that you start with pages that get a lot of traffic on your website versus obscure pages that get little traffic you may be able to really greatly boost the conversion rate of some of those obscure pages more than you could boost the conversion rate of your homepage. but because it gets so little traffic it's probably not going to have that much of an impact on your bottom line start with the the, the high traffic pages first, and then, you know, as you get down the, the path, you can start looking at those those lower traffic pages. Yeah, a lot of people start at the end, right? They'll start at the, the very end of the conversion funnel and say, you know, if I can move that 1%, then that's great. But we found that doing the opposite, starting at the beginning of the funnel where there's more people, if you get more people through that first hoop, then there's more people gonna go through the second, third, fourth, and last hoop. So. Yeah, we, we tend to find that starting at the at the beginning has a better impact than starting at the end. Yeah, so pages like your home page, your amenities pages, your room pages, you know, tend to be your most popular pages. So yeah. that's where we recommend yeah. going. Exactly, and, and the booking, you know, the start of the booking process right. as well. Um, this, this is something that kind of, you know, a lot of people struggle with is the volume. How many how many um, unique visits or how many conversions is enough for a valid test, you know, and you, you get into the discussion of statistical um, validity of certainty and all that stuff. But that's one of the other reasons that we like to start with high volume pages right. and, and letting the, the thing run long enough if you don't get a lot of traffic in general to your site. Absolutely. And next is I. Next is I. I is for iterative testing. 
And uh, again, Pete spoke about this a little while ago, but um, the point of iterative testing is you try to make small changes in each test, and then you build upon the results of those tests versus making a lot of changes all at once on a page and then getting results, but not knowing what changes actually affected those results. Yeah, that's a big one because so, so many times, once you start brainstorming, coming up with ideas for tests, you have a lot of great ideas. And then the trick is to prioritize those. You do one first, one second, one third, and so on until you've experimented really all you can on a certain page. And I like, Melissa, you have a, a running analogy in terms of fueling up before <laughs> a run that you, I know you did a video for probably a year or so ago, but you want to share that? Yeah, um, I always said that I would love to be able, as a runner, I would love to be able to split myself into two people um, because one run, you know, I've had this sports drink and an energy bar and then my next run I didn't and one run was better than the other but I changed too many things I didn't know was it the food that I ate or was it the fact that I had the sports drink with it I don't know and since I couldn't split myself into two I couldn't test them independently yeah they helped me understand it <laughs> sometimes I think I have a split personality but that's neither here nor there yeah another thing on the iterative testing is once you let's go back to that email example the email pop-up once you've tested and you've determined that an email pop-up is a good idea and it is so you should definitely test that one but go beyond that once you've confirmed that you've pushed that test live 100 percent of the time now try testing it where that pop-up appears 10 seconds after the person has been on the site try to further optimize the test that you already have put in place and that's going to truly show you what that real conversion rate can actually be. Yeah, and it compounds. So, and there's a lot of things. You know, we've tested the time that the pop-up shows. The We even tested one where it shakes a little bit and gets people's attention, which which had a great impact. We will really, yeah, that's kind of spammy. We don't really like it when we, we were being judgy, but when we actually tested it, it worked really well. It so, did work really well. Um, but yeah, compounding each test with new tests, I think is definitely a way to, to drive. We, we work with a, a portal site, um, modelbeach.com in our local market and they, they do a really really good job of testing and you know what they're really focused on is rev revenue per visitor because they're not actually transacting online they're trying to drive people to advertise the sites and things like that so revenue per visitor is one of their big KPIs and, and I've looked at their data and, and over the course of two years they're just incrementally it's like a penny or two a time per test but over the course of 12 months they've driven up their average revenue per visitor to by like 30 40 percent yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So next up is M. M, we're jumping from I to M. And the reason that we're jumping to M is that M is for multivariate testing. And I wanted to clear up some common misunderstanding, uh, misunderstandings of what multivariate testing is. Well, first off, the name, right? People call it multivariant. Which is wrong. Or multivariable. Yeah. Eh, it's questionable. It is multivariate. <laughs> AT, yes, right? that is correct. Um, many people think of multivariate being where if you're looking at a page and you decide, I'm going to flip this image out and I'm going to change this verbiage at the bottom and I'm going to change this other element here, that's multiple variants. But that is not correct. Yes, it is multiple variations, but it's not the definition of multivariate testing. Multivariate testing, we are looking at one element on a page 
and testing it in different ways. For example, if you were looking at a call to action button, you could test the color of the button and the verbiage of the button. Those are your two variants in that test. Um, and what's important to really keep an eye on when you're doing multivariate testing is to keep the number of those variations kind of small because the more of those variations you have, the more data you need to get statistically uh, good data. Um, so that's really important. Yeah, so going back to your running analogy, if, if you're changing the, the drink you have or whether you have a drink and the food you eat and the time of day and the shoes you wear, it's really hard to draw any conclusion from that. Exactly. You know? But if, if you're just saying, okay, I'm going to focus on the drink and I'm going to try try change, try different drinks, but also different amounts of those drinks. Right. That would be a multivariate. Exactly. Exactly. And it, you know, it is when, when we talk about multivariate, we're talking about, we, we use the analogy to of recipes. And you know, if you really think about, say I have a button and I'm going to change the color and I have three colors and then I'm going to change the verbiage and I have three different verbiages. And you've got essentially nine recipes, nine different permutations of how they can be. Right. And if you add another factor in, like say bold versus unbold on the font, then there's, that's another factor too. So now you've gone from nine recipes to 18 recipes, and then you've got to get 18 times as many conversions exactly. to be statistically valid. So it really gets out of control really fast. So what we one of the biggest lessons we've learned with testing is keep it simple. Like try to test little things at a time and then move on. Yes. It's really a walk before you run scenario. Yep. F. This is one of my favorites. F is for failure. But you can't think of yourself as giving yourself an F if a test comes out with negative results. It does not mean that the test failed or that you failed as a human being. That's really not it. Uh, it's going to happen eventually that, you know, this awesome creative design that you thought was good or just blow it out of the park just did not perform as well as your original design did. And that's okay. When that happens, realize that how much money you've saved yourself in lost bookings by not just making that new version live. You tested it, you got your results, and you've learned something from it, and you're going to move on from that. Yeah, I mean, the only way you can fail at a test is to not do what you said for K, which is KPI. If you haven't identified what the goal of the test is, you're never going to know if it was successful and you have to rerun it. But even if, like I said, the, the control version wins, well, you have learned something very valuable. And more often than not, you can take that same information and apply it to a test somewhere else on the website. Yeah. And then there's a sub part of failure, um, and that's Q, which is questionable outcomes. Sometimes you're going to let a test run, and it's going to run and run and run, and there's just virtually no difference in your variations. And what that indicates is that either your, um, your variations weren't different enough to make a difference, or potentially whatever it is that you're testing just doesn't have an impact on conversion, and that's important to note as well. So when that happens, you need to decide whether you're going to build on that test and maybe make a bigger difference in the variations, or whether you decide, you know what, this element just isn't worth testing anymore. It probably doesn't have that much impact on conversion rate. All right, we've got time for one more. So let's do um, P. P, patience. 
you need to let these tests run until you get full test results. A lot of times, you know, you'll look at results because everybody wants to see what's going on within a day or two. And, you know, one version is way ahead of the other, but then five days later, they've flip-flopped or they've evened out. You really need to let it run to get statistically significant results. Be patient. And we recommend at least two weeks, but it could be as long as a month or longer sometimes, depending on how much traffic and how many conversions you get. Yeah, and you've really got to think about it. You know, a lot of the software does the, the thinking for you, but you've really got to think about it from a probability standpoint. You know, if you don't have enough, if you just tested two people, that outcome is clearly not enough information to make a determination that that's going to be the same outcome every time. Right. So when we talk about things like certainty of an, of an outcome, that is that if we recreated that experiment again, that the outcome is going to be the same every time. You know, that's when we want to get statistically certain with the data. And the only way to do that is one, give it enough time and two, give it a big enough sample size. Right. Um, and like you said, it's really easy to get excited with early results, but we found that, you know, often they flip flop, like you said, and, and you also, the other thing to think about when you're testing is you have a personal bias. Like you have a preference of which one's going to win. It's hard not to, because we're mm -hmm. humans, but you really got to set that aside. Cause it, otherwise what happens is if your preferred version starts to win, then you have a more, likely chance that you're gonna say, you know what, let's call it, let's say it won and move on to the yeah. next test. And I've seen that happen, but then we said, well, well, let's wait, give it another week, or let's get more more volume to it. And you know what, the data flipped and, and our favorite didn't win. So really patience not only is a virtue, but it is essential when you're testing. Especially for multivariate testing. Oh, yeah. Because if you have, let's say you're trying to get 100 conversions per version of the test that you're running, and you have you know, four versions of that test, you really need to make sure it's long enough for every one of those versions to get a high enough conversion rate to make a decision. And if your property only gets, you know, 100 conversions total a month, well, mm -hmm. then you have, you know, just started a long-term test that could take a while. Mm -hmm. All right, so as I said, this is, we've got a bunch more. We went through eight or nine of those. There's 20... Six. 26, because that's how many letters are in the alphabet. I forgot that momentarily. Um, but there are 26 different things that we talk about in the download. So go to our website, fueltravel.com slash ABC. You can um, just sign up, get that, and hopefully you enjoy it. We'd love to hear back from you. You know, Tell us in the comments on that page or you know, hit us up on Twitter and tell us what you think about it. So if someone wants to get into testing, we started out doing it the old-fashioned manual way where we'd get our developers to build two versions of a page and we'd use Google Analytics or Omnichair or whatever it was we were using to track that site to determine the outcome. We learned that that's really hard and um, you know, there's a lot of manual work involved on the statistical side of that. Uh, so we've elected to start using different tools, right? And we've tried a lot of different tools. So let's talk about cover the real briefly about some of the options out there and, and some of the pros and cons of those. Probably the two most popular for the average tester um, would be Visual Website Optimizer, also known as VWO, and Optimizely. Um, both of these options are in the affordable range and you get charged based on usage of like basically unique user, uh, visitors to each of the tests. Um, and they're both really solid, good um, programs. They're, they have WYSIWYG integration where theoretically you can just drag and drop stuff and change things right within the interface and they're, they're pretty simple to use. 
Um, some of the other ones, Unbalance is more of a landing page tester. Uh, Google Experiments is still laying around. Uh, that's free, not my favorite place to go. Um, with Google's new uh, 360 suite that they've um, brought out, they've got an optimized um, testing platform there as well, which is more aligned with Adobe Target. And those would really be for very advanced users who are really in the deep end of the pool. And we'll put links to all of these different um, options in the show notes, along with the news items from the beginning and a link to the download as well. So guys, what are your take homes? Or, or if you had to give one piece of advice to someone that's starting out testing, what would it be, Pete? Start testing. Start small, so you start getting a few wins underneath your belt and understanding how the process works, and then build from there. Okay, Misha. Well, building on what Pete said, definitely start testing, but also keep in mind that this isn't just for websites. I work more in the internet marketing end, so a lot of these, you know, I can draw parallels directly into PPC testing, for example. So definitely test on your website, but use these principles across all of your marketing channels wherever you can. And Melissa. Test everything and be patient. All right, so let's tell everyone where they can find you on the web. Well, they can find me at P DeMeo. That's my first initial P D I M A I O. I am at M A Kavanaugh, K A V A N A G H on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M E I S H A. Still waiting for some cat gifts out there, so feel free to send those anytime. And you can find me at Stuart Butler on Twitter, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. And you can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. Now, please, if you're enjoying the show, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know if you have ideas of things we can cover, topics. Uh, if you have questions, we didn't have a, a user-submitted uh, question this week, but we'd love to get some more from you guys. Please share us with anyone you know that's in the industry. We want to spread the word that we're doing this thing. Uh, we're going to start having some guest appearances on here other than people from Star Wars. And um, Yoda's a person. Yeah, Yoda is a person of unknown race. Uh, but thank you. And, oh, look, Yoda just came back. <laughs> Listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast you have. Monkey fish.